Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is presented by thisisbracketracing.com. Do you subscribe to Luke Bogaki's weekly eighth mile email? If so, I'm with you. If not, why? It's free. The eighth mile email is free. It's quick and easy read as well. It's guaranteed to be less than a thousand words. And it's loaded with quality content geared primarily towards racers like us. News from the sport, links to great columns and podcasts, motivational and thought-inspiring quotes, and interesting tidbits from Luke's ongoing commitment to improvement in various aspects of racing and in life. Plus, he occasionally throws in some basketball content for hoop junkies like myself. In all honesty, there's something in there every week that piques my interest. I think it'll do the same for you. Subscribe today. Again, it is free at this is bracketracing.com slash fast brackets. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, it is episode number 10. It is the last week in June, and we have an absolutely huge episode for you today. Um, But before we get to that... um, I'm just going to give you a little feedback I am getting. Some of you are chiming in with, hey, Rex, I cannot wait for 6 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday every week for the next episode to drop. You've got it um, set by your your watch at 6 p.m. Eastern. You know each week that's when the show will be available to you and however you get your podcast. Sometimes sooner, but it by certainly by 6 p.m. Eastern each week. Um, And some of you are telling me, hey, I always clean the shop on Thursday nights, load the car, and I listen then. That's great. Some of you are putting the AirPods in and you're listening to it while you mow the yard. And then some of you, this is how you get down, you know you have some windshield time as you get to the track. So, you know, you've got that time and you are immediately putting in the episodes as you get into the rig and you're getting caught up then. That is cool. It is all good. It all works. Uh, but keep the feedback coming. Let me know how you listen to your to the show. It is all good. I appreciate you. But today, hey, we have an absolutely huge show here today. We are going to go four wide with Lester Johnson, Andrew Johnson, and Ashley Johnson. Uh, it is the first family interview that we've done. And I cannot wait. And then we have Steve Kasner coming back on as a podcast certified driver to discuss qualifying fields in the number that we have. Some places it's 16, some places it's 32, some places it's 48. What should the number be? So I am excited about that conversation as well. But before we get to it, hey, give me uh, a some feedback on Twitter at Fast Brackets. Or you can like the Fast Brackets podcast page on Facebook. We've got 100 plus at this point. It is great. Or you can always email me. Uh, The Fast Brackets email is fastbrackets at outlook.com. Hey, do one last walk around. Get strapped in. Here we go. Okay, let's make a pass, so let's get them hot. Let's put it in the water box. Um, Hey, today's hot topic is about the number of cars we qualify at each event. So in order to discuss that with me, we're going to bring back a podcast certified driver, Steve Kasner. Just a reminder, guys, uh, getting tagged has its privileges. Um, I have absolutely loved every interview we've had uh, on the show thus far, but some of those guys have taken my game up a notch. 
and those guys get tagged. They get certified. They get the SFI, ETI version, so to speak, and that gives you some privileges. That allows you to call up anytime, get in, uh, get your place, and speak your piece, and that's exactly what Steve Kasner has done. He hit me up. He said, hey, um, I want to talk about this. And if you remember, I made a mistake when he was on. It's probably the first mistake I've ever made. Um, and I did not tag this dude immediately. Uh, I had to go to the data logger, make the adjustment. But joining us now is Steve Kasner. If you didn't listen to episode seven, go back, listen to that. Steve, how you doing? Great. And thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, you're sitting in Sheridan, California right now, um, running the Kasner Racing Enterprise operation. Um, and uh, you you wanted to talk a little bit about how we qualify cars and the number of cars. Um, let me set the stage for that then. Um, on the NHRA side, which is what you have done very, very well in, um, you were the Division Seven Vegas winner earlier this year. Um, Division one through five, though, they qualify 32 cars every event. Um, on the Division six and Division seven side, we do a 48 quali- car qualified field. Um, so that that changes things up a little bit. Um, Division one through five, they can win 95 points for a win. That's the most they can get. Uh, but because there's an extra round in Division six and seven, you can possibly get 105 points uh, for the win. Um, how do you feel about that, Steve? Well, the, the the biggest problem that we have is is when we have a national championship, you know, on the line, you know, I personally feel we need to have all the divisions on the same program. Uh, you know, we definitely benefit out here on the West Coast with six and seven being – 48 cars because we get that 105 points for the win. But if you don't win, you're actually penalized on points. You get less than the other divisions get for winning the same amount of rounds. Um, You know, and the the biggest problem is, is with all the divisions, you know, having their own demographics on on what works for the track operators to make money, which is is the most uh, you know important thing for for our racetracks. We've got to make them money, but uh, you know, national championships are on stake, and we got to have a level playing field. You know, so somehow we need to figure out how we can get all these divisions running the same points program. Yeah, I mean, I think we all would agree that having a different um, qualified car count in in divisions was fine for a long time when all we had was divisional winners, correct? But at some point... Correct, yep. So that, that changes now when we have a national champion. And in my opinion, it, it is tough to crown a national champion when people are playing with two different decks. So two different like, sets of points rules. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, in, in every division, like I said, the demographics of every division is different. We're we're trying to figure out how to get, you know, a lot of participation in every division. Uh, you know, Division One has a different, you know, travel time than, you know, any of the other divisions. Their tracks are, are, tend to be a little closer and, and, you know, not as traveling as far. Uh, and then like division seven, I mean, my, my division seven races for my local division, I have to travel 16 hours to go to Tucson. I travel 14 hours to go to Phoenix. I travel twice a year, uh, 11 hours to go to Las Vegas. I travel nine hours to go to Fontana. And then my home track is three hours. And luckily we have a double there, you know, so, so trying to get, you know, a 48-car field, you know, for Division 7, the main point of it was to to make sure that everybody can run when they get there, you know, which is, uh, you know, we got to find some sort of uh, happy medium between, you know, the elitists and the everybody gets a trophy thing. And the 32-car field, I think, is perfect for all the divisions. We just need to figure out some way, you know, like in Division 6, we could go to a 32-car field. It wouldn't affect them at all. 
Uh, you know, they've never had a 48 car field. You know, it, it's very rare that they even get over 32. And they already have something in place up there. Like, say, say there is 35 cars and three guys don't qualify. Well, they can automatically go into Super Pro. Division six runs Super Pro at their divisional. Gotcha. You know, so so they can travel and and still race if they don't qualify, which is which is great. I mean, uh, you know, so you know, Division six can work with the thirty two car field without changing anything. Mm-hmm. Division seven is is our tough one because the track operators want forty eight, and our division director wants forty eight. You know, uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be as far as racer input to them as far as what we need. And I think something that could work really well in Division 7 is going to a 32-car field, but adding a, if you would, a consolation class or a class that would combine uh, the top dragster, top sportsman non-qualifiers into kind of their own class on Sunday. Uh, and we've done that before there, and it was a very successful, and it was called Top Comp. And uh, the non-qualifiers got to race on Sunday. Um, you know, we just would have to figure out how to pay for that program. I mean, obviously, you know, we want to give somebody, you know, something for winning, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, throwing a Wally in there or having a, another entry fee for it or bringing in sponsors, you know, something. Because uh, if we just make it a 32-car field, you know, we're just going to end up getting 35 or 36 cars showing up instead of the, you know, we've had up to 73 cars show up at, at uh, I think, even more, actually, at Vegas. You know, we don't want to shorten the car counts. We want to keep them growing and bringing new people in. And Vegas, uh, of course, you know, is the 64-car field at the end of the year. Yeah, Vegas at the end of the year, I think, would be fantastic to leave at 64 cars because, you know, we're getting – you know, we're getting bump spots. In fact, I think Vegas last year, if I'm not mistaken, was a, I think it was a low 680 bump at 64 cars. If I'm not, I, I may be wrong on that, but, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty good at Vegas. That's a high altitude track, about a tenth and a half factor. Uh, he, you know, 64 car field gives somebody in a points championship at the end of the year, maybe that one shot at that, you know, extra 10 points that they may need to catch somebody. Um, and people travel to Vegas at the end of the year from other divisions for that, for that points deal. Uh, you know, so I could see that staying at a 64 car, uh, 48 car fields. I hate because you have buy runs and, uh, buy runs in a qualified class. I just do not like. Well, right. And because typically if there's a 48 car field, that buy run comes in the semifinals. So the the thought is Correct. you, you yeah. get an extra point or extra points for going an extra round. But in theory, you really, if it's a buy run, I, I you had to stage, but you really didn't have to race another round. And, and going further, if there's only 33 cars, then you can yeah, potentially you get, get two buy runs. Number one can, can win the race with two buy runs. And, and making four elimination passes with a competitor in the other lane and then two by runs, um, that does not seem right to, get, <laughs> to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you can look back in the history, if you go back in the last three years and, and look at some of the racers that, that have finished in the top ten, you know, some of them have had, you know, five, six-plus by runs in one year. Yeah, that's that's a handful. That, I mean, that's that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, um, and it sounds like Division Six would be a pretty easy change, right? We, we, yeah, we can... yeah, I don't think, like I said, Division Six they don't have to change anything except the rule forty-eight to thirty-two, and I don't think it's going to affect anybody. Right. The problem is, is uh, you know, Division Six normally follows what Division Seven is doing. Yeah. Um, you know, Matt, uh, division director up there in uh, six, I, I, I'm not sure. I've never talked to him about his feelings on it. But, uh, you know, I know Mike Rice in Division 7 is very, very uh, firm on the 48-car field. And most of that stems because that's what the track operators are, are wanting. Um, you know, and it all has to do with payout and, and tracks making money. Right. There's and kind of that's three what, things, that's, right? That's, that's our goal. Yeah, there's kind of three things that are all uh, working here. One is uh, we want to get new blood into the sport, so we don't want to push Absolutely, people away. Absolutely, yes. 
Um, the other one is we, we got to help the tracks make money. Um, we, we all know that these, these are not uh, cheap endeavors to have these uh, facilities for us. And then, and then the third thing is, but I mean, we have to protect the integrity of the national championship as well. I mean, uh, I don't yeah. know that it's happened thus far, but it could be kind of mucked around a little bit if yeah yeah and and the the opportunity is there and you know the the last thing you want is a 48 car field you know a championship coming down to a 48 car field and the racer that's needing it has a byron the sign you know (laughs) final to win the championship which would be you know not really what we want to see but i mean that's racing that's the way that the cars are played right now with the rules we have but uh i i think we can make it better I, I agree, and we we heard that from the PDRA side, um, and I know that's in the opposite end of the country from you. But you know, um, Tyler Crossno came on and said, "Hey, he wants everybody to have a chance to run if they tow there, which um, you know, and it's where they qualify, either they're elite, which is understandable, which yeah. makes sense." Yeah. Yep. And so I think your point about developing um, either that Super Pro version or Top Comp or whatever it is 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 really important because. I know that if I was trying to run top sportsman, I didn't make the field, I guarantee next week I am working on the car to get it in the field. Make it faster or uh, do I'm something. something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that it might do, and, and this might be a pipe dream on my side, is that, you know, some of the guys that are running super comp that have these 180, you know, 190 mile an hour cars and super comp, you know, may, may, attempt to try it if they know they'll still race on sunday uh but you know right now they're intimidated by the car going 610 and and you know not being able to qualify possibly and you know i, I kind of have a joke with a friend of mine is uh I, I mean it's not saying bad anything about super comp it's just i mean i race super comp but why do you run super comp because you have to you know what what other class can you do Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a, you know, besides a bracket race deal. But like I say, there's a lot of fast super comp cars that can go 670, 680, 690s that uh, let, let's get these guys to turn the stop off and run with us. Right. Yeah. No, I like it. Um, yeah. And of course, the solution ultimately um, is cash, cold, hard cash. The more we have uh, <laughs> coming into our our classes, the better. And, and I think either through um, fans, right through new eyeballs seeing the cars go down and realizing my goodness you know 2500 horse going down is a great show um or through through sponsors who can tap into that new fan base or the racers themselves and so um yeah i don't, I don't know what the exactly what the answer is but i it seems like and and you and i are on the same page with this that um it, it just doesn't feel right to have two separate points um, rules for division when we're having one national champion. Yeah, and I, and I think that would be pretty much a majority vote if it went out there to you know all the all the racers involved. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to protect the forty-eight car field. Um, you know, when you look at it in the logical situation of a national points championship. Yep. No, I, I agree. Um, Hey, if you're listening, uh, reach out. You know how to do that. Let us know what you think, what your opinion is on this. We have regional directors that are listening, that are following along and and need your uh, input on this matter. So let us know. Um, Thanks again, Steve, for coming on. You were, again, brilliant. Uh, Your tag is reserted and uh, come on (laughs) anytime. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, anything anything we can do to help these classes, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be uh, involved with. Appreciate you, man. Okay, thanks, Rex. Have a good day, bud. All right, well, let's put it in the beams. Hey, guys, we are going four wide today, so a little bit different. We are getting the whole crew on from Cynthiana, Kentucky. Uh, Lester Johnson, Andrew Johnson, and Ashley Johnson join us. Um, first off, in lane number one, he is your 2018 Division Three Top Sportsman Champion. He's also your 2018 JEGS All-Star winner. He was number five nationally last year. 
and he is a multi-time top sportsman, national event winner, and habitual number one qualifier. Welcome to the show, Lester Johnson. Hey, how are you? Very good. Thanks for coming on, Lester. Also with us, lane number two, Andrew Johnson. Um, he is a multi-time Division three top sportsman, top ten finisher. He is your Norwalk Divisional winner in 2012. He's also your JEGS Sports National top sportsman winner in 2013. Andrew Johnson, how we doing, man? Good. How are you? Outstanding. Thanks so much for coming on. And last but not least, um, she is a junior dragster standout. She was your Chicago divisional winner in top dragster in 2015. She was your Indy divisional winner in 2016. She recently went 6'10 with a zero at 220 miles an hour. Welcome to the show, my longtime friend, Ashley Johnson. How are you, Ash? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Rex. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Hey, let's uh, let's start with the ladies uh, first. Um, Ash, I've known you a long time, but take us back to your twisted sister days, back when you were driving uh, juniors. Um, what do you remember about that? What did you really like about that growing up? Well, that was a long time ago, so it's <laughs> hard to remember. But it was me and my sister. Um, we're about two years apart. Whenever she got old enough to start racing, my mom decided to come up with the name Twisted Sisters. Don't know how or where, but it's kind of stuck with us until now. And then we've just kind of traveled all the world since then. So, staying pretty busy. Yeah, you guys traveled probably as much as anybody back in that time. Um, and then you guys both graduated to top dragster um, almost immediately. Um you want to talk about how important your dad is into getting you into top dragster and, and how important he was to you in the whole sport? Well, I should say it's a whole family thing on my end of things. So if it wasn't for, like, my mom, dad, my grandma, grandpa, I wouldn't be able to do what I do right now. So first off, it started with, like, my dad and grandpa grew up racing. And as soon as I was old enough, I guess I was in diapers, I started coming around the track. And then that's where we got to junior dragsters, and then I graduated. We ran the Super Quick Series for probably about four years before jumping into my top dragster. And then I guess with them, me being in Cynthia, it's kind of hard for me to work on my car. So I guess they were my backbone to it all, and they helped support me and get everything ready before heading to the track. I love it. I love it. Um, and I know that um, you have been qualifying up front for a long, long time, Um Tell us about how important it was to get that uh, 610 with a zero. Well, it was kind of a shot in the dark, I guess. If you can have a four-leaf clover every now and then. <laughs> uh, we went out there. Dad asked me on that pass. He goes, what do you think you're going to do? I'm like, well, I think it's going to be slow today, so I'll probably just go all out. I get down there, I'm like, ooh, we're on a pass. <laughs> so I decided to shoot drop, and lo and behold, a 610 with a zero popped up, so... It was pretty awesome that day. Get down there and everyone's all excited. And they're like, well, there goes our chance to be number one qualifier. But we've enjoyed it. We're kind of not much of a fan of the 610 index, but I guess it's what it is, what it is right now. That's right. Um, yeah, and I'm just going to guess that your dad hates the index, um, just knowing him. But uh, uh, you're capable. Yeah, that's right. Um, but you, you're capable of going a lot faster. You can tell us a little bit about your car. So I've got a 2010 Gary Egan chassis for engine director. Um, I've got a 521 um, Brad Anderson Hemi in it. So with a 1471 PSI, we run uh, Mickey Thompson 3196s, and we got an STI torque converter and transmission in it to help power us along. I like it. That is moving um, on the top dragster side. Uh, thanks so much for cluing us in there, Ash. I appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. let's Let's uh let's move to the other side of the household here. Um Andrew, um welcome aboard and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got started in the sport. What was your first car and uh how, how have we gone since then? Okay, yeah. Um uh, same thing as Ashley, you know, I always ran junior dragsters uh since I was eight because uh dad there, you know, he, he had old dragzilla wagons since I was born racing. So naturally I just got into it like that and uh 
then, uh, you know, turned 16, and we got a dragster that I actually still have now, uh, undercover dragster I run Supercomp with, and that was my first big car. And uh, just started from there, and then Dad started running Top Sportsman, and then uh, we bought a Top Dragster car, and that's how I got into Top Dragster. Yeah, um, and you you dabbled a little bit um, in the in the wild stuff, the radial versus the world, um, uh-huh. and but now you're building a new car. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You mind yeah. uh, telling us about that new new ride? Oh uh, yeah, it's a little bit of slow work in progress, but uh, we're getting there. It's a uh, Tim McCamus chassis '58 Corvette, uh, Larry Jeffers body actually. Uh, okay. But yeah, we we plan on running the top sports with it, some, some outlaw pro mod, quick eight stuff too. Uh, should be a pretty fun ride. You th- you think you'd go back to that radial versus the world stuff? Um, <laughs> Ashley said absolutely not. Uh, I don't know. To be determined, I guess. Sounds like she's uh, putting her foot down, sir. Well, I went out twice <laughs> with it. Yeah. Both weekends with it weren't very good weekends. So. Went went pretty fast, but. A lot of damage both times. So I understand. Um, well, tell us about the motor train in that dude. What uh, what's going to power that guy? The same thing that powered the '57. The uh, short time I had the '57 is 521 Brad Hemi. Uh, it's actually twin turbos with comp turbos. Uh, uh, FDI turbo 400, torque converter, and do pretty fast piece. I think. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. What do you think the horsepower range on that thing is? Um, well, for top sportsmen going six ten, I'm going to say probably about twenty four hundred. I think capable of over three thousand, no problem. When we've we've done it on the dyno with the Pro Charger, uh, should be no problem with the turbo as well. Gotcha. And you you went turbo. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But have you always been a turbo guy? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, always been a pro charger guy and i love the pro charger still uh pro charger probably would make the most sense bracket racing it but uh just going for some efficiency with the turbo trying to make it nice and smooth and not tear up too many parts yeah well with the top sportsman side with the full tree you can bring in the boost right um once you've staged you don't have to have all the issues that the pro mod guys have when they're staging right well in top sportsman you're actually not allowed to run a bump box um, the reason being is they don't want the trans brake wire to go anywhere except for straight from the delay box down and the bump you have to interrupt the trans brake. So that's a rule in top sportsman, which I actually don't agree with because I think it's a lot safer to let a car bump than it would be to say have big brakes on your car and smoke the converter like we see some people do. Uh but yeah, actually my uh, good friend and neighbor Cheyenne Stanley running turbos and top sports right now and he proved it in bristol in the bad air at bristol actually um both car stage he decks it and he's full boost before the full tree gets down so should be no problem and the reason is because of the tom peak efi we all run we were able to manipulate timing and get the turbos pulled up pretty fast and if you you mentioned the comp sync and if i remember uh-huh. right you have um you tell us a little bit about your day job and how that relates to some of the cool stuff you've done on your car in terms of uh interfacing uh, yeah actually i'm i'm sitting on a factory floor right now watching some machines run but uh i do industrial automation and do a lot of programming so i'm in the real techie stuff all day so you know it's kind of hard for me to have a carburetor on a race car being around this stuff all day efi is pretty much the uh logical choice for us just, I, I see it being in the future there won't be carburetors so we're just trying to get ahead of the curve we all run efi ashley dad me we all have efi on our cars so. right yeah it's certainly a strong trend and we're seeing more and more for sure um, yep well let's let's uh bring on um a guy who was personally requested by some fans um lester if you don't mind um tell us about how you got into the sport oh well it's kind of funny is uh, i actually used to work for toyota met one of the guys that good friend of mine now his name's rusty cook sure and i had a i had the 56 chevy two-door station wagon 
that's now called Dragzilla. And I was actually driving it to work. It was a six, uh, six on or three stick on the column. And I decided it'd be kind of neat to pro street it. And I bought a set of wheels from him and pro street it. And then he's like, man, you need to race it, take it to the drag strip. And that's how I got started. So I kind of blame it on Rusty. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I, but let me tell you something about Andy. It's kind of funny is he never told this part of the junior dragster deal. We used to run at Clay City all the time, and he would uh, he would win a lot of rounds, and I would win a lot of rounds, and it was just him and I that were racing. So he would actually put his junior dragster up on some blocks, like two-by-fours, and stack them up and start it, get in and buckle himself in, and then rock it back and forth to get it off the blocks to drive to the starting line because we were both racing. We didn't have other help. But, oh, wow. You know, yeah, it's kind of, I guess you call it redneck deal but nobody can do it nowadays they kind of get on you but it was it was kind of fun oh that's that's fantastic yeah that is it's one of the things i love about our sport is the ingenuity that we all use in one way or the other i mean uh, i do it probably less than a lot of guys do but that type of thing is is uh fascinating to me and i love it right the other thing about him he's also helping cheyenne tune his race card and stuff so uh, he he he's getting the experience of the turbos with that. Yeah. Of course, now now that puts me out there trying to run against Cheyenne. We're both trying to be number one qualifier, and me and Andy in the same motorhome sitting there tuning the, against each other to see who can be number one. So that's all right though, because when I get my car together, he's gonna be number three qualifier. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um... Yeah, but yeah, you know something else. <laughs> There, there's only one one person ever dialed six flat every round and won the whole race, and so yeah. nobody else can be the first one to do oh. that. Well, yeah, now I have to dial six ten, right? Yep. <laughs> and Lester, yeah, now. Lester, I think that was in St. Louis. Is that right? No, that was actually up at uh, at Columbus, okay. the divisional race right. up there. You you must have dialed like a six oh two or something um, in St. Louis when I yeah, saw you win so, that one. Yeah, so so. You know, there's probably been other people dialed. And I think Andy did that once. Dialed six flat in the finals and won the race, maybe at Norwalk or something. But you know, I'm talking just leave the six flat dial in on every round, and that's kind of hard to do. So I was pretty fortunate there. Yeah, no, nicely done. Um, and that is that was in your uh, famous Excalibur shoebox, is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting yeah. story. You want to tell that one again? Uh. Of course, I, I know a lot of people have heard that already. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of them deals where you take a chance and 20 bucks, you know, kind of helps you retire early, kind of, I guess. But, you know, I still, we still work our business and we race out of other money, not that money. So I try to put that back for the kids and grandkids, hopefully. Sure. But you were at the Excalibur Casino, is that right? When you... Yeah, and and I was going to build the fifty five anyways, and so we got to build it a little better, a little faster, and so I decided to name the car Excalibur because of that, and it it's worked out pretty cool. That the scheme of the car, if you look at it, the chrome on the sides actually swords and stuff like that. So it it it's, it works as a theme, not just a name. I like it. Um, yeah, when you say it's worked out, I mean that's a severe understatement. Uh, you've had lots and lots of success with that thing um and it's all been with the pro charger is that right yeah you know i actually had a when I, when the car was first built it was built as an actress car and the funny thing is today on facebook it came out with uh the memory picture and it was of the car when we picked it up nine years ago it seems like it's been longer than that but that's what it said nine years ago okay. and uh i tried to race it one weekend putting a nitrous turn the nitrous on and had some motor issues, and I thought that that's enough of that. I'm not doing that no more. So that's when it became a pro charger car. Yeah. So, um, so you immediately went to pro charger, and now if nine years ago that was probably, I mean, they're very popular now, but that was a little bit ahead of the curve at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm. You know, there there was a Andy knows his name. There was one other guy ran top dragster that Mark Mark uh, Harmon. Yeah, Mark Harmon. Yep. And uh, when we go to the track, pretty much it would be him and us. That's that's what we would see, you know. So it, it, it's been a good – it's been good, though, for us. It's been a good program. 
you know, we occasionally do break some parts. Uh, a lot of it's our own doings, but that's kind of what happened to me at Bristol. Uh, you know, we we had some issues with the uh, with some transmission issues and torque converter pressure issues, so the motor was not being loaded like it should be. It wasn't running what it should be, and we got the transmission from Greg Samuels at FTI, put it in the car. We actually got it on Wednesday morning, uh, converted it from a Lenco drive to a Turbo 400, left Wednesday evening to go to Bristol. Uh, of course, you know, getting line set up. Friday, Friday, our first qualifier, we burnt two pistons, and that was our fault. My fault, not ours, mine. And uh, but you know, with with the motor combinations and stuff we got, we went. At, Andy and I basically decided if we're going to change two pistons, we just go ahead and rebuild the motor. So we put all new rods, all new bearings, replaced the pistons, sped a couple of sleeves, and you know, with any other combination, we couldn't have did that at the racetrack. Yeah, that's. Uh, I remember reading that, thinking that uh, you must have uh, pulled the chutes at a thousand foot to to go the ET you did at the mile per hour. So that that makes more sense. And then you just went ahead and rebuilt the whole thing at the track. Um, yeah. To make the show, I like it. Yeah, and then you know, of course, we we had another issue with the oil line leaking the third qualifier. So I went into the first round with not a really a full pass and uh you know it's kind of one of them deals i get down there and i'm pedaling the finish line i give the strap back by two thousandths, which mm. people will tell you you can't racket race a fast door car i think i do pretty good with it uh andy nash will tell you they're there coaching me i do better because i i when i think i'm taking a fender i'm actually giving those back so sometimes i misjudge the car but we're talking just a few thousandths misjudging it at that speed, of course, yeah, that's uh, right. that's difficult to judge, but it does help that you're typically qualified number one, and you watch the race unfold in front of you. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that people don't understand is if you have the fast car, where you where you do have some advantages, a little bit different. My take on it is, you know, if I, if I run two hundred and thirty miles an hour, and most of my com- opponents run about 205 you know so there's a 20 to 25 mile an hour discrepancy according to who's in the other lane mm-hmm. but i see that every pass down the racetrack and they only see it if they run against me typically because most of the cars run 660s 670s mm-hmm. you know and so so it kind of i have a little bit of an advantage i feel like in that situation because i see it i see the speed differences more often than they do so i get more used to it no, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and in this sport, when we have um, wins and losses determined by thousands of a second, any extra advantage we can get is important. Right. And yeah, you- and and my car. So, so my car is so is capable of running a lot faster than probably most people can even imagine. It's it's a pretty fast car. I mean, I, I know down in Bristol. With the changes we made to it, I could have, I could have been, I, even at Bristol, I, I felt like I, I had a car that was capable of going in the 580s down there. It was, we have it so turned down right now, and we were still, we were still going 186 to the eighth mile at Bristol with a mild tune-up in the car. So, so you know, if you can have a car that can go 590s, 580s, and you slow it down, then you pretty much you're you take away like track condition problems and stuff like that because you're so soft on the car early you just kind of it's a constant acceleration from start line to the finish line there's no big dip when it shifts you know because because the way we can apply power and throw a timing curve at it it's just constant g-force you know it's it's not you don't have the big interruption of systems of nitrous coming on you don't have the big drop at the shift change stuff like that so it makes the car more stable no that makes perfect sense um and uh you've been you've been very very consistent with that thing even you know detuning it um what besides the besides the pro charger has really helped you be consistent well so two things 
the first time I ever switched over to Mickey Thompson tires, I was at Columbus and I was running another brand of tire. Everybody probably knows what brand it would be. Uh, but you know, buddy and Tommy said, just put a set on and try them. And actually at the time I was running just 660 and, uh, I think I went from 660 to running 649 from one pass to the next and never changed anything on the car and had never been faster than 660. And uh, they just worked with my car mm-hmm. perfectly. And and then the, when I switched to the – you know, I would still have some problems, but it was tuning problems. And then I switched to the FTI torque converter, and the tuning window just went wide open. I mean, it, it with this converter in it, pretty much anything I can throw at it, it'll take. And and it, and I'll tell you another car that's so Todd Tudrow now runs the FDI torque converter, and okay. man, he's just he's been one of the most consistent uh, pro mod cars out there this year. So, and you, you know, a, that, that's been a big part of it. Yeah, and you, and you run a three-speed turbo four, right? It's it's three well, gears or is it two? Actually. Until Bristol, I was running Lenko, uh, Lenko drive with the three speed, uh-huh. and uh, you know at, at Chicago, I don't know if you noticed that I had the worst car at the racetrack in Chicago, and the thing would vary two tenths, and there was a spool that was messed up in the Lenko drive, and it was sticking open and not holding converter pressure. So in the all stars of the Jig in the finals, I drove my worst race I've ever drove in my life right there. You know, to, I mean, from 3.7 seconds on down the track, I was at half throttle trying to wish him, come on, get beside me, come on. And, and you know, I, I didn't know at what point the car was just going to have its little stumble. And so I was afraid to tighten it up and give it back. But I took way too much finish line. I'm not saying I would have won, but so I I was determined then. I, I got in the under the car and started working on the valve body and, and fixed it that night and if you've been around us you know we we're not afraid to work andy and i and ashley we all stayed busy uh but we took and uh i i fixed the valve body then the next day i had my consistent car back but you know i went ahead and luckily i won the national event and then after that we took it out so we're we're putting a turbo three uh, 400 in andy's car so we went ahead and got it and put it in my car and so we'll get to work the bugs out of it. But there hasn't seemed to be any bugs so far. It's, it worked really good just the few passes we've had. So I'm pretty excited about going to Indy. Yeah, well, I I appreciate you breaking that down for us because I'm looking at the, the time slips, and I'm going, I don't know how many tune-ups Lester has, but he's using them all that weekend. And <laughs> There was only one in the car. <laughs> I, yeah, I can... that, that's the problem. It, there was just the one in the car. I was just trying to drive. You know, everybody said I used I used all my, my good luck up up there, but I didn't really use my good luck up. The other people, they used all their bad luck. I mean, I, I could have been beat by, you know, several different guys, and they just had bad luck, and I was just sitting watching. So it was kind of like I couldn't do anything wrong, and some of the other people had a hard time doing the right thing, but it worked out for me. But, you know, come Sunday, I I, I mean, I, I had a good car on the track. And, you know, I made probably one of my best runs against uh, Dusty Myers, you know. And and then in the finals against uh, – in the finals up there, man, he, he just uh, – he drove really good. You know, I was lucky to win the win the win win that race. Well, I think it was, uh, you know, you've ebbs and flows. You had some downtimes up in Chicago. This was a good one. Um, I think we're all happy for you getting that done, especially knowing how hard you worked to get that car back going and getting it consistent. Um, I will, I will tell you guys, I am fascinated, uh, with your group and the fact that you, you run three different combos, um, all going to be the, um, major competitors for that number one spot every single time out. And, um, you know, I know you to be super great people. So, you know, it's easy to root for you as well. Well, I know Ashley right now, I think probably Ashley has one of the best cars on the racetrack. Uh, you know, she just, she, it just takes that little hump to get it over. I mean, if she's not red up at, up at, um, 
Norwalk, she's going to win that race up there. I mean, she she was on. Her car was good. It's just it's just a matter of time. But she has the best car of the three right now. Well, um, that car um, has gets a uh, whatever it wants. I know, and um, it uh, and I know the crew chief works really hard on it as well. So um, that doesn't surprise me at all. Guys, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, this was a bunch of fun. Thanks for uh, doing our first ever four-wide version of In the Beams, and uh, best of luck to you guys all moving forward the rest of the season. All right, thank all you. Right, thank you very much. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. DragRaceLawyer.com, legal help on and off the track. Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com is a longtime drag racer with over 25 years of experience in small business to large corporate legal work. For all your high-powered legal needs, go to DragRaceLawyer.com. All right. Uh, hey, we would have traditionally gone to the NHR event in Norwalk where they were supposed to have top sportsmen and top dragster, and we know that that field was going to be flying. Um, unfortunately, that event for our classes and the super classes, et cetera, have been postponed. We will get you that update when uh, they reschedule and get us around to it. Um, I know they had a track issue there. Um, my personal opinion on this is that I hope they did not get comfortable with that setup in the fact that they just had the pro guys there. I know that at some point, um, and I think for the large part of this, NHRA does a great job of straddling the line between entertainment and body and a sanctioning body. So obviously the pro cars are more entertainment. You, uh, man, they are wild. I've said this before. If you have a neighbor, a friend, nephew, et cetera, get them to a national event and let them watch a funny guard go down the track, especially if at night, if at all possible. But then there's the sanctioning body side of it as well. And I think um, at some point the NHRA may have to make a decision. I hope it's not anytime soon. But in this case, they made that decision to move to the entertainment side uh, just what they had to deal with, certainly Bill Bader. We will not second-guess him at all. But uh, my personal feeling is I hope they do not get comfortable with that setup. Um, that being said, let's go south to Bell Rose, Louisiana, for the NHRA Division Four event down there. Um, so we had uh, that divisional for, so for division um, competition in top dragster and top sportsman. So on the tap dragster side, uh, your number one qualifier was Anita Strasberg from Mapleton, Utah, in her 09 Spitzer. So she goes 6'11 with a two for number one qualifier. Um, if you're keeping track at home, Mapleton, Utah to Bell Rose, Louisiana is 1,728 miles. I hope. She has a private jet uh, and make that trip a little quicker, but um, that is a long way, folks, um, and she made it count by going number one once she got there. That being said, that whole field was quick. We had 15 cars qualified 620 or better. I mean, that is flying. That is up against the bump. I like it a lot. Um, but uh, ultimately, the winner was Wynette Hudkins, um, over Ross Larice. I've been saying that wrong all year long. I was told here recently, Ross, my apologies. Um, it is Larice, not Laris, like I've been mucking it up all year. Um, but uh, let me say this about Wynette. I watched her uh, break something in the in the uh, water box earlier this year, and I knew she was a competitor right away. I don't know her, but she was kicking dirt, screaming mad, um, and and I'm going to tell you, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I mean, we get it. There are minor things that can derail our competition efforts at any point in time. But listen, we can be friends with people um, back in the, the pits. We can uh, be cordial, but it's okay to show some emotion. And I knew she was a competitor, and um, she got it done this weekend. 
with a big win at Bell Rose. Um, on the top sportsman side, our guy, Darian Bosch, is the number one qualifier. He goes 646 with a five in his uh, 18 Camaro. Uh, we like Darian a lot and appreciate him coming on. Um, certainly your Jegs uh, all-star winner there. But uh, ultimately, uh, the winner in top sportsman down there was Ricky Vedros over Glenn Wright. So congrats to Ricky. Uh, nice work to all you guys down there. That was a fast field on both sides of the, the equation. Um, now uh, we got to go north. We got to go north of the border for the Division Six event in Mission, British Columbia. It was a double event, actually. So if you travel that far, they try to get two events in, which I think is probably good, although it makes for a long week, that's for sure. Um, but uh, so on the top dragster side, um, let's do event number one. I think they finished that up on uh, Friday. And um, so number one qualifier there on the top dragster side is Ryan Carlson. Uh, from Maple Valley, Washington. Uh, he goes 614 with a 5 at 226. Um, so, and he's number one. That's a very fast field there. Um, and then he gets it done. So he goes number one to getting it done, sits in the winner's circle. Ryan Carlson wins over your 2018 national champion in the final, Paul Nero. So nice work, Ryan, early in that event, going number one and then parking it later um, on to uh, to win that event. So good for him. Um, in the second event on top dragster side, uh, familiar name here, Ryan goes number one again, 613 with a two at uh, 224. So he familiar spot there. But ultimately, uh, Mike Shannon gets the win in that one, kind of ruins Ryan Carlson's perfect run over the weekend. Um, Mike has a nice reaction time. He's 13 over Nick Axman Jr.'s 20 in the final on a reaction time. So he goes on to win that. And what I like about Mike Shannon getting the win on that one is that Mike has been a longtime superclass competitor, and he makes the move up and gets his first win in that um, in the top dragster series that way. So nice work, Mike Shannon and Ryan Carlson all weekend. On the top sportsman side, then, um, so they also had two events, which was great. Uh, Rianne Hayward goes number one um, in that 63 Corvette, um, running a 643.3 at 215 miles an hour. Um, in the winner's circle, though, is Doug Bracey over Sean Herbst. And here's the thing, how that shook out in the final. Um, neither had great lights. Uh, Herb was, Herbst was better. Um, but then ultimately has trouble down track, and so Doug Bracey gets the win. Um, Sean, man, we, we're going to have to get him on the podcast, truthfully. Uh, we need to get him some karma. That is nine, count them, nine runner-ups in top sportsman category. So, man, he was due. He had a better light and then had engine trouble that uh, allowed Doug Bracey to get the win. So, obviously, uh, Doug, that's hard-earned. Congrats to you. But, uh, Sean, we got to get you on, get you some karma so you can get in the winner's circle. Um, in the second event of the weekend, Pat McNally goes number one, um, 680 um, at 202 miles an hour. So he's the number one qualifier there um, in his 06 GTO. And then uh, Joe Meloff gets the win over Tom Patterson when Tom goes red. So congrats to Joe on that win on the second second event of the weekend um you know that we don't have a lot of events that are north of the border but we got to get some canadians on um we got to get some give them a little bit of a feel from the north of the border that way this is a worldwide sport after all we have a big following in australia certainly people in canada um love the sport and so we need to branch out a little bit that uh rob Make that a note. Let's uh, let's get some people on from north of the border. Next week, we will give you a recap of the action at the PDRA event in South Georgia and then also the NHRA Division I uh, recap from Lebanon Valley. That is their third event for Division I uh, competition this year. 
Um, that is all next week on the Half Track Report. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for a minute um, and take you back this weekend. Um, Erica Enders went 260 miles an hour in her pro mod this weekend before she needed the fire extinguishers. Um, that was a new record uh, mile per hour. That is the fastest ever mile per hour in a NHRA legal pro mod car. Um, I, we are all very, very glad she didn't get hurt. I mean, she was in back in her pro stocker in less than an hour at the line. So, um, nice work. Um, Erica, congrats on the new mile per hour record. Um, it, it's a little bit amazing to me, to be fair, um, that these things are going 261 miles an hour. Um, she goes 261, 2-2. Um, that is absolutely flying in those cars. Um, certainly she got it stopped when things got on fire, but I will tell you, um, I've heard before that mile per hour is, uh, could be an issue. So I hope that they just keep allowing them to, to keep running. We've got top dragsters going 240. We've got pro mods going 260. I mean, guys, what an absolute show. Um, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but it feels like, um, you know, much like the fuel cars, uh, reducing it to a thousand foot is going to be the the answer that gets uh, decreed at some point. And um, I don't I don't know how I feel about that, to be fair. But uh, congrats to Erica Enders for going the fastest ever mile per hour in a pro mod car. Okay, as we hit the mile per hour cone, uh, guys, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 10. Uh, we got the wind light, so, uh, Rob, we should be playing Gloria right now. Um, special thanks to Steve Kasner for coming on and the Johnson crew, Ashley, Andrew, and Lester Johnson for coming on. They were fantastic. Um Next week, next week, we've got some impressive dudes coming on. We're going to discuss some tech issues and topics, and I can't wait for that convo. Um, if you can't wait either, subscribe um, on iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play where you hear this. You can like our Facebook page, um, The Fast Brackets Podcast. This is an organic growth for us. It is, it is about our people that like these classes. So tell your friends, talk about the show, you know, retweet, um, do all that stuff, like, share the page, um, get it out there, but get it to people like us that love these classes. Um, as always at fast brackets on Twitter, um, the fast brackets podcast page on Facebook. Um, we should have Google play up for you this week as well. Um, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Please keep the rubber side down and travel safe. At this point, you're probably familiar with our latest podcast sponsor. This is Bracket Racing Elite. You know two-time NHRA world champion Luke Bogaki and his team of instructors that includes Kevin Brannon and Justin Lamb. What you may not know is that there is more to thisisbracketracing.com than just the premier membership community. This is Bracket Racing Elite. Thisisbracketracing.com houses more than 350 training resources dedicated to all facets of competition. And each one of those resources is available for purchase individually or as a portion of the master course on a certain topic, like reaction time, finish line driving, tech, and more. You want to become the best, best version of yourself on the starting line like we all do. This is BracketRacing.com is dedicated to helping you in that pursuit. Give yourself the advantage of understanding and the tools for improved execution. You deserve it. Learn more at ThisIsBracketRacing.com slash improve fast. Rob, 
Can uh, can we play Gloria at the end of every show? Uh, sure. I mean, we can do that legally, right? Whatever you want. I mean, <laughs> dude, when we win, I need to hear that. Oh, okay. I've. Wh- why do you not share my passion? You're for the this? boss. <laughs> dude, I don't. We, we need to get you on board. We've got to get you on board with this. 